Mackenzie Atwood here with the final new Steven Universe podcast episode of the season. And we're doing something a little different this time. We asked the cast and crew universe and even some Cartoon Network execs to submit questions for creator Rebecca Sugar and former executive producer Ian Jones-Cordy. And they've come up with some really good ones. We also have writers Ben Levin and Matt Burnett returning to talk about some of the series milestones and to share how their own goals evolved as the show progressed. Together with Rebecca, they'll speak to lessons learned, personal inspirations, and what they hope fans take away from the show. And we've also got co-executive producers Kat Morris and Joe Johnston back again with Rebecca to tackle a final bunch of awesome fan questions. So let's start with Rebecca, Matt, and Ben. Thank you guys so much for coming back. Yeah, thanks for having us again. Thank yeah. you for having us. Yeah. So my first question I had for you guys is, um, so I'm sure you guys had a vision at the, at the start of the show. What did you guys think that the show was going to be? And did it end up being that after all this? Well, I'd say just a quick story. The very first thought I had about the show is I think our agent got confused when describing it. And he was sort of like, I thought this was some version of Pug Davis, like before oh. we come to meet you. Because he was like, <laughs> ah, there's something about space and, and this and that. And I was like, well, Steven Universe is the title. And like, I think he got mixed up talking about your comic. And I was like, I think this is a version of Pug Davis. And then you showed us the animatic. I'm like, oh, this is not <laughs> at all what he was talking about. <laughs> like we, we got back there at some point though. <laughs> we did. It became mm-hmm. fully sci-fi. But it seemed to make sense. Cause I was like, well, Steven universe is in the name. I guess it says about space. Okay. <laughs> um, and then we saw it and it was different, but it was, cool yeah i feel like i feel like it's funny like from the outset of seeing that first animatic when we first met it was like the show surprised me but at the same time i think a lot of it was there you just the a lot of the themes that the show tackled and stuff i could feel right off the bat maybe not specifically but i knew it was going to be a show that you know was different and broke a lot of ground and it was very i we always i was used to say it was like hey, if you know whether or not we get to work on it we're excited to see the show uh, before we were hired because it was like a very just exciting and new idea and yeah just the the hint of mythology under the surface of the pilot was like it just our imagination started running wild and it feels like we work so well together because our imaginations sync up. So, <laughs> yeah, I think overall I th- thought we would do a lot more dungeon crawl episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we true. realized those were so difficult to pull off. You had to think of so many contraptions. Uh, yeah. <laughs> New location every time. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Rebecca? Yeah. Well, when I started working on it, I had a million goals. But I think the number one thing I wanted to try and figure out, well, let's see. When I start a project, I like to make it about something that I don't fully have the answer to yet. Like, I like to start a project about something I'm trying to work on or something I'm trying to figure out in the hopes that by the time I finish the project, I'll have a better understanding of the subject matter I was trying to tackle. Um, And for this, what I wanted to explore was gendered cartoons for children, the semiotics of gendered cartoons and what it would mean to scramble them and remix them. And as someone who was made very uncomfortable as a kid, liking things I knew I wasn't supposed to like and not liking things I knew I was supposed to like, I think I started out kind of wanting to attack all of that language and force it to make as little sense as it made to me by moving it around and turning it into the soup. So I was really trying to challenge myself. I'd never... I'd always avoided those things 
And so I wanted to not avoid them, but kind of attack them. And then as we got deeper into it, I really changed as a person and I started realizing that I love a lot of these things. I like wasn't letting myself love a lot of these things because they were supposed to be for me or not supposed to be for me or it was all caught up in my own lack of understanding of myself. <laughs> and so figuring that over the out over the course of the show it was the plan from the beginning. The plan was to figure that out. I didn't know what I was going to figure out, but I learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Yeah, I get what you mean. In general, uh, throughout the show's run, in the middle of all that, uh, what were the most fun episodes for you guys to write or just like throw ideas around for? Fun. I don't think I learned how to have fun until 2016. <laughs> oh, <shit>. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I mean, I think that, like, um, I mean, we had fun. That's yeah. good. I enjoyed being with you. <laughs> we had lots of fun. Um, I mean, for us, it was, like, breaking down, like, sort of these ideas that you had for, you know, like, the mythos or what we wanted to try and explore in an episode and, you know, see if we could put it into 11 minutes, you know, and just make this um giant story like explain it step by step so that it wouldn't be overwhelming and it would you'd organically start to know these characters and feel for them and just try and find that emotional new thing to reveal about a character in each episode that was the, i mean that was the challenge i think yeah that mm -hmm. was really exciting pacing out we had the elements all on the table like a giant puzzle and then like pacing out exactly when you'd need to understand this in order to do that was really exciting it was strange. It felt like painting a picture across time, like the experience of watching it. You'd need all these elements or like building a staircase mm -hmm. so that you could get to the top. And, you, and we couldn't do change your mind at the beginning. You needed absolutely every single ingredient in order to even understand any piece of what you're watching. It would be incomprehensible if we hadn't built that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Those stairs to get there. Yeah. I think we were yeah, trying to just always like put yourself in the audience's mind just like really be like, what do they know now? Like, what will they want to know, you know? And uh, just trying to, yeah, make it not overwhelming. And we all, we've talked about this a lot, but the thing that the thing that we realized from watching a lot of these like more serialized shows and like anime um, is that at the end of watching a series, you think that like, oh, all this information needs to be there and presented from the start. And people probably feel that way about Steven universe, but you, you know, it's good to have the, the goal that you had, but you can't just info dump people. <laughs> They're not going to yeah. care, you know, mm -hmm. uh, what you're trying to say, I think. Right. All these revelations have to mean something. Yeah. You got to earn it to the like, characters as they happen. Yeah. I mean, like, I feel like some of the bigger ideas and the bigger story payoffs, in the show were like talked about in those first couple weeks. And that was like a lot of fun to throw around those ideas and just be like, Oh yeah. And it's going to just be so cool when everything gets really big, but it's like we paced ourselves to get there and earn it. And I think along the way, a lot of the fun episodes to write and come up with were the things that let us sort of deviate from those stories a little bit, but still sort of resonate with the themes and stuff. Just like one off simple episodes were, it was just a random idea we would have, but pursue it. That 
like kept energy up. I think it wasn't like we were beholden to some blueprint we we wrote four mm-hmm. years ago. It was very improvisational and stuff. So yeah, just getting to do fun little weird odd off episodes. It's an early episode, but like Stephen and the Stevens yeah. is like one of my favorite episodes we ever wrote in terms of like a writer's thing because it's just this perfect little uh mobius straight like like it's it just feeds into itself over and over it's just such a tight little package and it was just this fun little one-off episode to do so and it needed a diagram yeah to explain how it worked (laughs) (laughs) there's a diagram yeah yeah and then also (laughs) and we were and along the way too we were responding to what was being boarded and and revelations that came out in the boarding process and then going off that i think early on we knew for sure what we wanted to do was to create episodes that feel self-contained but give you a new piece of information or change the characters fundamentally so steven and the stevens it's tight but steven does change fundamentally after having that experience he's not the same in in that case he's literally not the same character uh, from that point on and i think but it's a coming of age story so everything we had to weave the info dump aspects with his personal growth as a as a child like with him growing up you know, he learns like like anyone does. He learns something new and it changes him. And he learns something new and it changes him, uh, it excites him or confuses him. And, and starting the next episode, he has this knowledge he didn't have mm-hmm. before because you're growing up with him. Mm-hmm. The, and the, I think uh, a couple others that were like, I mean, last one out of Beach City was super fun to write. And then the title confused everybody online into thinking that, like, oh, this is like the big apocalyptic episode. <laughs> and they're like, oh, whoops. Right. Um, Rising Tides, Crashing Skies that was one's probably too. the most uh, <laughs> trolling title. Uh, yeah, didn't you guys mean had to. some fun with the, yeah, with well, the titles yeah, and we stuff. Did. I mean, <laughs> I didn't think that first one was going to confuse everyone. It was just a less than Jake reference. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's true. Yes, I knew, I knew that it was... From the song. I, that one did surprise me. I... So when we went further in, um, like ones where we had to do like immediate world building, like the human zoo stuff was like also fun to be like, okay, like, you know, we're creating a mini world right now. You know, what is going on on this ship for this like three-parter, four-parter heist situation? But that was like Five fun. Part. Five-parter. That was fun to like come up with all the like, how did this little mini society function? And that was like... Super fun of throwing ideas for. Damsel and Greg was way up there very early on. Mm-hmm. Having him be in need of rescuing, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like Peach. <laughs> he literally, it's just like Peach. He gets picked up and carried away. It's so nice. <laughs> uh, she picks him right up, carries him away. It's, but, you know, we try to do every, every tropey princess thing. Even that one. Mm-hmm. All of them. From everywhere. From everywhere. Right. So... After all of this, what's something that you want people who watch the show to just come away with after seeing all of it? It's a big Everyone's question. looking at me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me answer. Uh, just had a fun time. Fun TV show. I liked it. That's what I wanted to think. Good way to spend 11 minutes. <laughs> uh, that's a big question. That's a big question. I mean, there's, there's just so much. There's so many things that you can take away from the show, and I feel like I'm not... Uh, the one to talk about it, but I can say like what we took away. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of compassion, you know, in the show that's, you know, genuine feelings and being okay with expressing your genuine feelings. It was like, it was great to put that into a kid's cartoon. I just think from, from writing it. And also I feel like there were a lot of conversations about 
this is again just from writing it I, i'm sorry but like uh you know how characters felt and like we had a lot of conversations in the room after storyboard pitches about how would this character feel and i think that was very enlightening to us and you know it made us think differently about writing and and just you know the world in general and maybe some of that people will take away too is just sort of really thinking from other people's perspectives and I don't know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think thinking from other people's perspectives, I think that this show is, Stephen was so cool and it like had so many cool elements that I think appealed to a really big range of people to watch the show. And I think some of those people, as the show went on and, and some of the themes it tackled, I think it, it you know, was exploring new territory. And I hope that uh, people who watched it, you know, I, I hope that they felt like they saw themselves. And then I hope that other people feel like they were seeing other people for the first time that they maybe didn't really think about. And, you know, it was helping them become a more compassionate person. So I, I hope that that is really the takeaway from the show to just like listen and understand each other just a little bit better. Think outside of yourself for, for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But also care about yourself. That is also a thing. Oh, yeah. Self-care. <laughs> yeah sure. Yeah. I think that I hope that people come away from this knowing that you really need to figure out how to love yourself, because if you don't, it becomes almost impossible to connect with anyone else. And you I want children to know that they deserve to express themselves if it's if it's if they're expressing themselves in a way that doesn't hurt themselves or other people and that's being shut down. It's not their fault. And when you're young and no one's telling you, hey, you deserve you deserve to be yourself or people that you trust are shutting you down. I just hope that this can be just a little voice, a little beacon, a little presence in the living room that says people shouldn't be treating you that way. That's the bizarre world. The It shouldn't be a fantasy for you to just talk about how you feel. But in Steven Universe, that's the, that's what it is. That's the fantasy. The fantasy of Steven Universe is that people get to express themselves without being perpetually shut down. And it's also my personal fantasy. Yeah. Okay, well, just thank you guys so much for coming on and talking to me again. Thank you so well, much for having you. us. Okay, coming up, co-executive producers Joe Johnston and Kat Morris sit down with Rebecca and I to answer some fan questions. Co-executive producers Kat Morris and Joe Johnson just joined Rebecca and I. Glad to have you guys back. Yo, thanks for having us. Yeah, so um, we're going to answer some fan questions. The first one I have is from Mike Cat SU, and they want to know, has there been any thought as to what Fluorite's gem components are? No. I did. Yeah, of course Rebecca (laughs) has. How can you say no right off the bat? (laughs) I drew drew them all. (laughs) You you already already know what they look like? Mm Mm-hmm. I know what they all look like. I handed it to Colin. I don't know where it went. It's on a place somewhere. I think Colin might still have it. It's in that drawer of all of Colin's drawings. Okay. It might be. I have it in a box somewhere. Yep. They're fun. (laughs) So the answer is yes. There has been a lot of thought. All right. Good to know. So next question is from Bone Janky. Uh, They want to know, are Lars and Lion uh, immortal now or is their aging process just extremely slowed down? Their aging process is extremely slowed down, as indicated by the very, very slow heartbeat you hear in... Is it Lars's head? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Joe and I have disagreements about what Lars's life is like now. I, I, don't, like li- to, I don't like this answer. I like to imagine <laughs> that the trade-off is he lost his sense of taste. 
So now he just eats occasionally to sustain his body, but he can't enjoy food anymore. Does that answer the question of whether they're immortal, though? Uh, well, we answered it already. We did? And it's aging very, very slowly. Just slowly. Yeah. So they yeah. will die someday. Slow. Yeah, they will okay. die, for sure. For they'll sure. Live, they'll live a really, really long time. Longer than they'll want to. <laughs> Oh, no. That's like my least favorite quote. Like, that's the worst. Okay. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Next question is also a large question from um, at All Night Lauren. Uh, they want to know, can Lars do the lion roar warp thing or does he have his own power? He can. I think we yes. tried to write stories around it, but we never quite did it. Yeah. But yes. he can if he gets, I don't know, tickled he, or something. He can, he can make a warp. <laughs> And he can make a sonic blast with yes. his voice. Nice. Yes. Has Lars figured that out yet, or is that something he's going to find out later on in life? Well, he will at some point figure that out and use it, and it'll be really funny. <laughs> um, but, yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. Steven will pop out, and he'll scream Steven, and then he'll, he'll knock a wall down. That's, <laughs> that's how it'll go. Yeah. Actually, well, we had talked about, um, what's it, I think... About that being one of the ways that he was, because he navigates, he he sneaks around all these bases in space. Like he manages to go through the like the citrine, I believe, asteroid. He and he he infiltrates the um, cosmic jubilee. All these things would be very difficult to do if he was <laughs> but just isn't walking by in. By virtue of not being a gem, and none of the technology can find him. Yes, he can't be scanned, but mm. I, he also but they still have eyes in their heads. <laughs> yeah, they still have eyes in their heads, and he also can warp around. So. He's he's very uh, well equipped to do his uh, space pirating. Nice. And I guess by extension, he can also walk on water. Yes, <laughs> lion can do. Yeah. I guess. Yes, wow. I can. That's also there. Yeah, anything lion can do. Anything lion can do, Lars, Lars can, can do. do. Yeah. Yeah, I had a. I actually, this is a question for me. But lion, does he have like Steven senses? Like, because he can always he he like went out and found Steven, watermelon Steven. Uh, an escapism was that just a coincidence or was that like spidey senses but lion they're in tune okay i it could be magic or it could just be that sort of animal yeah knowing animal instinct he yeah. can sense an earthquake and he can sense when steven is a watermelon floating in the ocean yeah he can smell steven's <laughs> spirit out in the ocean yeah okay cool yeah next question is from at very salty pearl and uh they want to know how did you pick the Diamond's voice actresses? Well, Be begging. <laughs> yes. <were>. Writing <laughs> um, passionate love letters. We knew who we wanted. And yeah, we wrote letters saying, please, please play these characters. Actually, the, one of the strangest one, ones was reaching out to Susan Egan to play the tiny floating whale. Uh, it's her voice in Rose's room. And saying, I wrote and said, I swear this isn't actually the, it's very, this character is very important. This is going to matter later that you're Rose and I described the character, but for now, could you please just go, ooh, and it's her doing the ooze. <laughs> uh, everything for the whale. That's how I first got in touch with... What do you want, Stephen? Yeah, it's so, <laughs> so nice. We were all so excited that she came in to do a couple ooze in that one. Yeah, because we knew that. Yeah. Because that was, yeah. Yeah, we knew pink. then. Everything. Rose and pink and everything. From the beginning. All right. Well, next question is from uh, Jubilant Dragon. They want to know which diamond was the most difficult to design and which was the most fun to design. Blue was the most difficult to design. Uh, we spent a very long time trying to figure out how her hair would work. 
and we knew we knew we wanted something about her to be inhuman that's eventually what we arrived at but mm-hmm. it took a lot of trial and error to get there gosh her cloaked form and the answer was before we had figured out her hair yes yes yeah. we hid that we didn't have that yeah, solved we, we didn't yeah we didn't quite know what she we were just kind of hold on to that because we hadn't quite solved it so we we put her in that big old cloak <laughs> yeah there are some early drawings of her where she looks similar but we, it, it sort of ends at the neck and <laughs> she, she didn't have that solved yet Gosh, the most fun to design. White is was really fun because we there were so many different influences for her that we wanted to capture. And they all ha- are very influenced by a wide range of things. Like Blue Diamond is influenced by a Martha Graham dance called Lamentation and the ghost from Fiddler on the Roof and trying to sort of amalgamate all these things. Yellow is very, very inspired by Patti Lapone in Evita specifically and then just a a sort of military aesthetic for her and then white diamond is really inspired by nell brinkley and hedy lamar in zigfield girl and this sort of aesthetic of a of a time that it was fun to pull from that because the show the interesting thing about white diamond is that she is going so against everything that every other character has been designed not to do. Like all of these, we don't usually give people full eyelashes like that. We avoid, people don't have nails, but she yes. has them times a <laughs> hundred. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we wanted this feeling when you see her to just be like, this is not something the show has done because we didn't want to do that. We didn't want to show these very specific hallmarks of, an old standard of beauty that is stifling, but then you see her and it's just like all of it. Oh, I remember talking a lot about her thigh gap. (laughs) (laughs) White has this perfect thigh gap. Um, Spent a lot of time on those shoes too. Yes. A lot of versions of those shoes. Yeah. Yeah. She's on a pedestal. She's on a pedestal and her shoes are little pedestals. It's all so cute. Uh, I, one thing that was sort of devastating was that um, pink diamonds, we were trying to hold off on pink diamonds design because you see her contorted with rage and you see her from only her upper body. And then it came out on a shirt, like her design from the mm-hmm. model sheet before you'd ever seen her like that. And people got it instantly that she was like a little clown. And so part of me was just like, man, we did a really good job sort of expressing <laughs> who this character is just from her design. But you're not supposed to know that about her yet. <laughs> I think the main, like all the shape language for them, you you had tied down very early. I think 2014, I had drafts and of everybody. Except for Pink. Pink's Pink hair was, was like a little higher and like wispier it yeah didn't have like she the... was like a trefula tree yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's that's why her mural looks a little spikier her yes. hair looks a little spikier in that and yeah and that and, and also when i drew that i tried to make it as loose as possible because i knew that one and and white they were both sort yeah. of we just finished blue yes. we just figured out blue mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah that was a big one of those really exciting aha moments when we were like oh her hair is like steven's hair like oh yeah that, yeah yeah i got so excited i got scared <laughs> okay cool yeah so uh next question is from at s-y-d-k-g-o-2 and they want to know what inspired you to make greg tom sharpling <laughs> tom sharpling greg's voice is tom sharpling he has a radio show or had a radio show on wfmu which is a jersey New Jersey radio station that I used to love listening to towards the end of when I was just out of college. 
It was on WFMU. The show is still going now. Not on WFMU. Listen to the best show. Best show is great. Also listen to Meet My Friends, The Friends, which is totally amazing. <laughs> um, Tom is going through and re- reviewing every episode of... Unsponsored plug. ...of Friends. Um, what? Really? Yeah. Oh, I want to listen to that. I want to <laughs> so, listen to that so bad. It's so good. I just loved listening to Tom's voice... And it was this really tumultuous time where I was leaving New York and moving to L.A. and felt so displaced. And the best show was like connecting me to my self in the past, like my my roots. And I was set, like me and Ian had to be apart. And so it, it was just this, uh, the best show was like a force of comfort for many people. But it was this huge force of comfort for me. And Tom's voice was so something about it so reassuring and also just tom's way tom if you listen to the best show he's so much more cynical than greg the character which i never thought about when listening to the show because he's he's very very nice and what i love about tom's sort of comedy is that he's only mean to the mean meanness is the target of his ire so like (laughs) he can get angry but when he's getting angry it's still like a force for good in the world and that's what was so inspiring about tom i just loved the idea that you could still be angry and you could still be mean, just direct it all towards the angry and the mean until they cancel each other out and the world is a better place. But That's never see Greg do that. <laughs> yes, because he's never mean at all. Yes. I think just the the already cancelled out version is like Greg the character, just the really soft uh the ascended gentle, Tom Sharpling. Yeah. Sweet, wonderful person. And then of course there's a lot of my dad. I think all of our dads <laughs> seep into Greg yeah. a little bit this uh really comforting grounding figure well yeah depending on your dad that's all i'll say yeah (laughs) yeah awesome okay cool yeah next question is from at zavidar they want to know would another half gym half human fusion like steven uh be possible for other gems other than pink diamond so like if any of the crystal gems could, could they potentially be a gem fusion like steven or is that a pink diamond exclusive thing Steven, well, that's not Pink Diamond. That's Steven. Pink Diamond couldn't mm-hmm. fuse with humans. Well, yeah. I mean, she did in right. the sense that she created Steven, but it was not through the act of fusion. That's all I'll say because this is, uh, children are listening to this. But <laughs> I think Steven is the bridge. He exists to bridge gems and humans and bring them together. So he can do that because of his humanity, not because of his gem. And that's something that makes Steven really unique and special. He could pull other gems into his human gem fusions, but he would have to be there to build that bridge. I think they might be asking, though, if could another thing like with Rose and Greg happen again? Oh, basically, could another could another hybrid, I guess, be made? Gem, yeah, yes. You, yeah, you have to be really, really committed. Yeah, as <laughs> committed as Rose was <laughs> to to making that happen. It's possible, but I. Rose was able to do this in part because she's so immensely powerful and she would want to do something like this. If someone else were as powerful as a diamond and wanted to have a human child or wanted to have an organic child, it would take that much power and dedication. So it'd be very difficult to do. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Next question is from at the Jake Neutron. And they want to know if Steven were to die of old age, what would happen to his gem half? Oh, I hate this question. That's so <laughs> that's so grim. They're they're one they're together. Yeah. There is no okay. Steven is Steven. He has he has a gem. They they can't exist as Steven without each other. It's immensely impo- it's it's impossible for both of them. It's horrible. 
Uh, so I was under the impression Stephen would have to choose to die. Like everyone is gone now. <laughs> this is He's Joe's exhausted. This, this is, this this is, is why thing, I hate this question. This is the thing Joe doesn't <laughs> like to talk about. You get very freaked out by existential topics. Specifically the ones where you live forever and all of your loved ones die around you. Yeah, Those. well, he would probably choose to go before then. I think Stephen is adjusted enough that he would find the time that felt right. And go naturally. Yeah. Well, but he couldn't, his body wouldn't just give up because his gem half is always keeping it going. Yeah. So it had to be mm-hmm. both in concert. Yeah. It would be very much up to him. His his gem friends will live and live and live. I mean, they, they can, don't worry, Joe. I'm sure he'll die before the crystal gems. Don't worry. Like, I feel so much better him. now. <laughs> the same thing with the Lars question about him living forever. I'm yeah, these like, are so Ugh. grim. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to think about that, but you know, I... It's rough. It's questions we talked about. Yes, we, yeah. these all obviously we have the answers. So yeah, we yeah. thought we've about it. About these required these. extensive discussion. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Then um, next question from Cherry T Bomb, and they want to know: Is the Jade Fusion from Together Alone okay? She's fine. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Jade Fusion from Together Alone is fine. She got poofed, like many other characters who were poofed and probably bubbled for what they were doing before Era Three. Everything is going to be different for them now. What they were doing that they were being punished for is no longer wrong. And so they will emerge into a wonderful place where they can be themselves. And I suppose the other version of this question, like, are they okay as a person, is not as easy to answer. (laughs) It's really difficult to go through what this character went through to feel so isolated and then suddenly not and then be immediately destroyed. So in that sense, no, they're not okay. Uh, she's not okay, but she will have many opportunities to be okay, to heal yeah. and become okay. Yeah, she'll get there. Okay, that's a good. That's good. That's good to know. <laughs> okay, next question is from Right Camp Seventeen. They want to know about Obsidian. They want to know does Obsidian have future powers, future vision powers? Yes. Yep. Uh, it's like. It's so much at once. It's like a cacophony of noise that can barely be deciphered. So it's basically uh, worthless, but... The immensity of the power is overwhelming, just like all of Obsidian's immense, immense powers. But there's four of them, so they can all... They can handle it all yeah. together. They can all yeah. try... Yeah, like operators in a little booth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess five of them, technically. Yeah, five of them. <laughs> yes. That's in their expanded, amplified cacophony. Nice. All right. Uh, thank you, Kat and Joe and Rebecca, for being here and talking to me. No prob. Absolutely. It was fun. So Ian Jones-Cordy is going to be joining us next to help Rebecca answer some questions submitted by the cast and crewniverse. All right. So now we've got Ian Jones-Cordy here with Rebecca and I, and we're going to do a different kind of fan Q&A. All these questions came from the cast, the Crewniverse, and even some from the executive team at Cartoon Network. So the first question comes from Zach Callison, the voice of Steven. And uh, he wrote, what are some of the traits of the main characters that were inspired by us, the actors, uh, that we or the public may not be aware of? (laughs) That's a good question. I think the biggest one would be Pearl was not initially a particularly maternal character. Mm. Yeah, that's true. And that really came from... Dee Dee. I think that it just happened very, very naturally. She is such such a mom. And that was really inspiring. And also just the way that everyone actually interacted in the room. 
I think just started to become such a huge part of their characters. I mean, there's something about this. You know what I think really came from Zach specifically? Stephen early on, he's very childish, but in a pretty short amount of time, he starts to act more mature for his age, which is a lot more based on Zach. Zach was really young when we were starting the show, but he was more professional than almost anyone else. I mean, he was so on the ball and uh, thoughtful and insightful and even just chatting between recording. It was inspiring to me as an adult to just be like, I want to be as mature as Zach and as together as Zach. He had he had a lot of genuine uh, interest in the process and also what his fellow actors were doing and what the crew was doing. And it, it became really easy to see Steven as like an empathetic character. Yes. Yeah, it was very real. And everyone in the room, they were all so impressed and excited by him <laughs> and supportive of him. And I would find out after like they all went to see him in a play and, you know, they would they would hang out outside of work and. It was just so nice to see the dynamic in the booth and just start funneling that directly into the show. I think early on, Stephen, you know, he's such a goofball and all of that was really fun to write. But I think the the genuineness of their relationships with each other and the way that the subtle ways that Michaela would egg Zach on or cheer Zach up versus how Dee Dee would egg Zach on or cheer Zach up, all of these things got planted into the show and then the way that everyone would sort of instantly stop while Estelle had her part and the the sort of reverence of Estelle (laughs) was all really happening in the room and but also her fondness with with everyone it was just I would say probably halfway through season one they started to become very very much like the cast in a way that they weren't in the beginning when we hadn't started recording that's like that's like lovely I love that okay cool yeah um, the next question we got is from uh, Matthew Moy, the voice of Lars. So I'll just read what he wrote now. Um, he says, Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Crewniverse. I've been asked this physics question by many fans, and I've wondered it myself. Can Lars go through Lion's Mane and vice versa? Would they just fall right back out if they entered? I've always told fans it would probably never happen because why would you send a wormhole through a wormhole? Thoughts and thanks. <laughs> There's a very specific answer to <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. I, I answered totally this on, figured that out. I answered this on the Reddit just, just mm, recently as yeah, well. there you go. Uh, first, it's important to know that Steven is the only one that can take anyone or thing through the main. He's the only one that can sort of open the glowing portal in the main. So, so it is possible that Steven could take Lars to Lion and go into Lion's main with Lars, in which case they would both be in the pink space with the two trees. Once they're in there, it is possible for Lars and Steven to walk over to Lars's tree. If Lars were to put his head through the grass around Lars's tree, Lars's head would come out of his own hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but he would be in the act of doing that in some void because it would be a contradiction of space and time and infinite Lars's would be coming out of infinite Lars hairs uh, until he pulled his head back out. Yeah. It would be like his head would come out of his own hair, go into the grass, come out of his own hair and into the grass almost like forever. I think he would see if he could get his eyes through, he would see his head because he wouldn't be going anywhere exactly (laughs) it would create a vacuum it would just make a vacuum he would be coming out i guess um 
because he wouldn't be in the pink space anymore. <laughs> there you go. Okay, cool. Yeah, that answers that. Next question is from Estelle. So she wanted to know, um, when you're coming up with new characters, how much time do you spend revamping the look of each? A lot of time. Hundreds and hundreds of drawings. We could take them through sort of some of the ways that it goes, like the process. Like I remember a lot of times we would come up with something, you would come up with something like before we even wrote the character or even decided where they're going to go in the story. Um, we had like a lot of early characters that we just like came up with random looks for. And mm-hmm. then basically every, it's like a process of uh, narrowing down what's specific about the design and what people need. So Right, getting rid of elements that don't mean anything and then trading them for elements that do. Yeah, so you would create it and then like the border would put it into an episode and they would draw it that way and usually that's a little more stripped down and and to the point. And then the designers would take that information and then take basically everything that you had so far and take multiple rounds of design and figure out, you know, what makes that character tick. Right. By the time we're boarding, we really need their shape language, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what, how they work, especially if we're dealing with a fusion that might have, you know, say something like sardonyx where her arms can right. rotate. You know, we need those concepts down, mm-hmm. but the things we can still play with when we're designing are the details of their clothes, uh, streamlining. Right all of the all of the more superficial aspects but we need that foundation and we we try a lot of things out i think there are many many designs that get not shelved but they're just not there yet like there were sardonyxes where she was still very stoic before Mm -hmm. i realized that she should be nerdy and and, yeah yeah that's um, true and then even then she didn't have the gap in her tooth which was added by joe uh because he has that it's like uh, you create a concept and then through working on that concept, um, it changes to fit the function of whatever story they're going to be in. And then the designers have to sort of wrap together that initial idea and the function of the design into one thing, which is difficult. And there are a lot of it takes a lot of rounds of design. Yeah, it's helpful to me to just be like, why, 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 why is this like not what is it, but why is it like this? Why mm-hmm. does it need to be like this? Yeah. What is it telling you? And you do a lot of like um, uh, hands-on work with that too. Like a designer will draw something and then you'll take it and you'll do a red line on top of it with your ideas of, of how the character would look. And then a designer will design off of that. It's like a big collaborative process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll usually have some roughs that I hand to the board artist that I work out before because I don't... And then sometimes those evolve a lot, depending on what they need yeah. to do on the board. Okay, cool. Yeah. Next question is from Michaela Dietz. We've seen a lot of references to other titles in the show, like Gurren Lagann, uh, Adventure Time, uh, Revolutionary Girl Lieutenant. But what's one source of your inspiration that fans may have missed? There's a lot. We pull from so much. I can, I can think of a couple that are like kind of small, random things. I mean, there's... Okay. Well, there's Future Boy Conan. Yes, um, we pull which, from that a lot. Which is an early Miyazaki series. It's that... am- it's amazing. Oh, and yes, in the when Pink Diamond, when the um, quartz, the vision of the quartz runs right through her body, yeah. and isn't really there. That's very directly <laughs> inspired yeah, by Future was, Boy Conan. That was inspired by that. There's so many. Like, 
the show was kind of always like a pastiche and we were just trying to make a show that was like all the stuff we would have liked. There is like a, um, Oh, oh I can talk say? about, I can talk about Orbity. Yeah. Is Orbity. It, that's it, right. Yeah. The, the rainbow worm organic creature from the kyanite colony is, was inspired by Orbity and all of the Orbity from the eighties version of the eighties <laughs> version of the Jeff, Jetsons and all of those sort of horrible, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> ugly, cute aliens, ugly, cute characters. aliens that came yeah. after ET. Yeah. Uh, those like glow worm dolls mm-hmm. that you would get with their, with their faces, you know, um, yeah, like Teddy Ruxpin characters and that kind of like that kind of, uh, cute and sweet but also like kind of ugly and weird <laughs> looking characters that were all the rage yeah. like after et made it big mr bug goes to town I, yeah. we, I would reference a lot that's a very obscure film because um it's a it's a fleischer film that came out i think on d-day mm-hmm. so people did not go to see it there's a um really specific um episode of the gi joe animated series yes, yes that's the a good 80s. one um it's called uh it's called there's no place like springfield and it's about the gi joe character shipwreck and he thinks he found his home but then everything's weird and like there's a part where he even says like it's all one big fakeroo yeah it's all a fakeroo and, we put it in and the we show. put it in Rose's room because yeah I was upset we were obsessed with that at the time it's so <sighs> funny there's a bunch of like there's a lot of things I remember uh, actually that reminds me of Frybo which was very inspired by the thing mm-hmm. you know of like a unknowable monster reaching out and trying to assimilate stuff. Right. Um, there's yeah. There's so many. It's hard to remember everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a lot of good ones. Yeah. Um, next question is from Dee Dee Magnol Hall, voice of Pearl. So she wrote a whole message and it's really sweet. So I'm just going to read it. She said, firstly, I want to tell the whole podcast world how much I love and respect Rebecca and the Crewniverse for their wonderful work on Steven Universe. And I am so honored to voice Pearl. And then there's a little sparkling heart emoji. Um, (laughs) And then she said, my question for Rebecca is if Pearl could fuse with one of Rebecca's favorite childhood cartoon characters, who would it be and what would their weapon look like? And also, can we see a drawing of this fusion? (laughs) <laughs> she's asking specific. for a lot of stuff yeah um, <laughs> who would you choose i that's i liked so many cartoons yeah, it's a really hard a lot of things um question i don't know bart <laughs> <laughs> oh that would be cute With some sort of like uh i don't know skateboard with like spikes on the front like a post-apocalyptic i don't know what would pearl and bart's fusion be named i don't know part part (laughs) burl burl yeah um i don't know my favorite childhood cartoon character i feel like i'm probably also like how young would i have been maybe detective conan she could she could be a She'd have all those gadgets and yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> She'd be a... Wait. <laughs> you think you would inspect a gadget? No, Detective Cone. Oh, I guess, yeah. He's got... That's true. He's also got gadgets. Yeah. Let me keep thinking about this. I'm going to keep thinking about this. Didi, I promise I'll give you an answer in person. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, next question is from Connor Montgomery, uh, the current series executive for Steven Universe. 
He wants to know, knowing what you know now, if you could go back in time and give yourself one bit of advice as you started on Gym Glow and the rest of the series, what would it be? I would tell myself to drink more water, exercise, (laughs) 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 Um, eat. I, you know, I said all these things to myself. I used to really, I used to forget to eat a lot. I, maybe I'd tell myself it's going to be okay because I didn't know that at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and it might have, it would have been helpful to know that things were going to be okay. Cause early on, it's, it's really hard to know. I, I couldn't have known I would get to finish the story I wanted to tell. I mean, I was dreaming really big and I was holding my breath that we'd actually get to do what we were able to do. Uh, but I was very anxious that at any moment it might suddenly have to end and that we wouldn't get to see this through. And I would love to, I think if I had known that it would have been great (laughs) um yeah uh i think i'd like to if i could go back in time and and turn my 25 year old self into a 31 year old i think that would have helped a lot too i was just a little young yeah but i needed to do everything i did i think it's kind of hard that's a hard one to say because so much of the way that the show is and what's good about it was an outgrowth of the things that we learned while making it um, yeah, and working with each other, and and seeing things come back wrong, like you—that's how you understand how you need to change yeah. what you're doing. So it's it's hard for someone to just say do X Y Z. But also forming those relationships with each other as we we were like writing it and creating it and making it. It's kind of hard. It would be hard to tell people ahead of time what those things were going to be like because mm-hmm. that created so much of the stuff that was good about the show. Right. Yeah. Those, those debates and not being sure. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think I would, I would like to go back and say, trust yourself, but I'm so glad that I trusted my team in the ways that I did, especially in the beginning. So even that, I'm not so sure. I think this is just how it had to go. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I got one more question. And this one is from Rob Sorcher, the executive vice president and chief content officer of Cartoon Network. And he wanted to ask, what is the one most profound thing that you learned about yourself as a result of making the series? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I didn't understand that you could be bisexual and be out. I didn't know that that was a possibility. I thought that it wasn't about me really that it was about who I was with and that it didn't really matter that I was telling stories about people I'd loved in the past or feelings that I had felt that 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 was all well and good and it just didn't occur to me that I think I'd been told so often that it didn't matter as a consolation don't worry it it doesn't matter or whoever you end up with will be fine that I thought that it wasn't an option and I learned over the course of the series that that's not how it works, that it's a part of my uh, life and my relationships, that m- how I feel about myself also in terms of gender, that any of that matters. I didn't know I would get to talk about that. I just knew it made me feel insane all the time. And suddenly knowing that that it wasn't because of me, that it was because I was in an environment where I'd been told not to talk about it or that it wasn't interesting. Uh, Finding that out and being able to talk about it and realizing that the people around me, I just 
people wanted to be friends with me. I mean, that sounds absurd, but it occurred to me afterwards that I didn't really know that I had connections with the people in my life because none of them actually knew much about me. And I had no idea that that was true. I, I thought I was very open and I, I wasn't with myself or with other people. And being more open with myself and other people has made just being alive so much easier. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> like I, and what I found out is that if it matters to you, it does matter. And it, it, it matters a lot. Going in, I didn't know why. I didn't know why these hypergendered cartoons were, made me so upset as a child. Uh, why I wanted to scramble them. I didn't know. I just knew that I did through the course of, uh, I didn't realize until I was already telling it that I was telling this story about how uncomfortable it made that people expected me to be a woman when I wasn't. And it's just interesting because it's not, it's not the only story I have to tell, but when you have to make 162 episodes of a television show and you're really pulling from all of the wells that you have, it became really clear that there was a certain well that I was pulling from that I couldn't actually articulate out loud. I'm trying to do it right now and it's still sort of hard. <laughs> so, uh, that, yeah, I'm, I'm bisexual and I'm non-binary and I am writing about it all the time. And maybe the language will change in the future. I don't know, but if it does, whatever the new way to say it is, that's, that's what's going on with me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that makes sense. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Could I throw in a profound thing? Yes, please. This was just something that I learned from you and from everybody making the show is that, um, you know, when you have something to say, you don't have to be ha hamstrung by the expectations of your genre or your media or the format. I think people, when you say, oh, I'm doing a science fiction fantasy thing, they get a certain uh, image in their head based on things they've seen in the past or stories that they've read before. Um, and they think that fantasy always means like, oh, I have a fantasy of, you know, like riding a dragon or something, you know, for some people, for a lot of people, for a lot of kids and a lot of people I know, a fantasy can be as simple as like, I want someone to tell me that it's okay that I exist or I want to be loved by somebody or I want to be in a family or I just want someone to care about me. Like that can be a fantasy also. And um, there's a lot of value in having that be the main story that you tell. And I think for a lot of people, they can't see that value. So for them, they don't see how that is a fantasy. <laughs> but I think some of us really do. And, um, you know, if you have something to say about that, I don't think you need to be afraid that, well, this isn't going to satisfy somebody else's fantasy. Because if you're telling the story, it's not about that. It's about your fantasy. Right. You know, that's something I think we all worked on and all came to through working on the show. Yeah. Yeah. We all have personal, you know, fantasies and ideas and things we all want. And that's okay. Yeah. I went in really wanting to talk about escapism and challenge it because I had been so unsatisfied with quote unquote escapist 
stories and how one-dimensional they were. And the idea of running away from facing your problems, which is ironic because I was doing that all the time. And what I found out is that over the course of doing this, I, I had just not seen escape. I had never seen a piece of escapist media creating an environment I wanted to escape mm. to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I no longer... And my contempt for escapism, that's, a, that's the thing. Once I understood that, my contempt for escapism dissolved. Once I figured out that there is a place for me that I want yeah. to be, there is a dream that I get to have, it became a lot harder to resent things that weren't my dream because I was like, that's fine. It's just somebody else's dream. But when you don't get to have one at all, mm-hmm. it's just really hard to navigate everything. Yeah, a lot of people's idea of that stuff is escaping their mundane reality for a dream. But I think for a lot of people, it's just to have a dream. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> and get like, to say it out loud. And get to be proud of that, you know, and that is the thing that's exciting. And maybe it's okay that media exists that's just that, you know. I think it's, I think that's something that the show really inspired me on because it lets you make uh, something personal to you and other people might not get it or they might not get how this is like very special to you but you know you're telling your story and that's important yeah okay thank you guys so much for coming on and talking to me absolutely the steven universe podcast is produced by stacy para charles abadje and conrad montgomery special thanks to rob sorcher cartoon network studios the crewniverse and turner studios in atlanta And thanks to all of you guys for listening. It's been such a blast doing this podcast for you, and I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I'm Mackenzie Atwood, and I'll see you next time.